Good afternoon, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to welcome to another edition of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I am your host, Tony Defio, and I am so excited that you guys are joining me again. Last week, it was a lot of fun. My first show, I thought it went really well. I received a lot of great feedback, a lot of love from you guys, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, before I begin today's show, I just want to encourage you, as always, to subscribe to Behind Steel Curtains. Uh, YouTube channel, a lot of great podcasts, plenty of podcasts on a, on a daily basis. There's just last night I listened to uh, Yet I Said It, Lance Williams, the famous Lance Williams, his uh, his weekly podcast. He's also on the Standard is the Standard every week with Behind the Still Curtain editor Jeff Hartman, and they're often joined by Brian Anthony Davis, the famous bad. Brian is my co-host every Monday for Steelers Q and A at five o'clock. That's in the off season and in the regular season, it is called Steelers Hangover, where we, where we discuss the previous day's Steelers game. There's also the Stat Geek, hosted by Dave Schofield, the deputy deputy editor of Behind the Steel Curtain. He's often joined by his big brother, Big Bro Sco. I met both Dave and Big Bro Sco last December, along with Brian Anthony Davis, right before the Bills game, which... Ultimately, it was the downfall of the Steelers season, but we won't get into that. But, but anyway, we have a lot of great podcasts that, again, you can watch and, and, and subscribe to on a daily basis. And, of course, there's the site, Behind the Steel Curtain, where you can find uh, all the Steelers news you need on, every day. Uh, Jeff Hartman and uh, Dave, they, they, they bring the news every, every time there's a breaking story. You can always... Count on them to bring it to you. And then, of course, there's commentary. Guys like me and Brian Anthony Davis, we, we provide a commentary. And then there's the uh, there's film breakdown. There's everything you need. It's it's the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest Steelers site on the Internet. So please, again, subscribe to this page, uh, the, the Steelers, or the Behind the Steel Curtain uh, YouTube channel, and, uh, and like this page. So let's get on. And uh, before I start, Hello to everybody who's saying what's up. Kenneth Bear, Ezra, Dennis Sheridan, the famous Dennis Sheridan. It's going to be a fun show. And what I want to talk about today is life after Ben Roethlisberger. You know, the belief held by many, including me, for, a lo for the longest time is that once Ben finally retires, being a franchise quarterback, it's going to be hard to replace him because those guys are hard to replace. Let's let's not kid ourselves. You know, we we went from we went 20 years between Terry Bradshaw and and Ben, and it, it, we had a lot of uh, okay quarterbacks in the middle, but certainly no franchise quarterbacks and certainly no Super Bowl success. And again, if you if you look at teams like the Dolphins, the Broncos, teams that have had the Bills, teams that have had franchise quarterbacks, it's not always easy to replace replace those guys so why should the Steelers be any different and again that was my thought process for the longest time until recently when I when I watched a uh, an episode of caught caught in the draft that chronicles it's, it's a it's a show by uh, produced by NFL films that chronicles uh, many of the drafts from the past and, and the drama that led up to it the drama that, that went on during the draft and, and the aftermath and I think it's a really good series you should, you should check it out on YouTube or the NFL Network, but the, the, the show I want to focus on is the 2004 draft, 
the, the, the great quarterback class 2.0. You know, 83, we had John Elway, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, et cetera. Well, 2004, it was, it was Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, and big Ben Roethlisberger, who the Steelers drafted with the 11th pick in the 2004 NFL draft. So I think that draft and the, the seven years that followed for Pittsburgh taught the Steelers a lesson on how to rebuild after a, a championship era or after your, your franchise quarterback retires or or, or leaves in the case of Terry Bradshaw, who he retired, but you know, it was more injury than anything else. And it was kind of unexpected, but how did this, if you remember that, 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 that draft, if you remember Dan Rooney, the, the, uh, the owner, the patriarch of the franchise at that time, uh, uh, Manning and Rivers were, were gone and, and Bill Cower, the head coach at the time, he really loved Philip Rivers. He wanted to draft Philip Rivers. Uh, there was a thought that he might slip down to 11th, but he was drafted fourth by the Giants, who ultimately traded him to the Chargers, which I'll get into later. So when it came time for the Steelers to, to make their selection at, at 11, there was talk of going in another direction, uh, getting an offensive lineman for Tommy Maddox, who was a starter at the time. And that was believed to be what they were going to do. But Dan Rooney kind of interjected and said, look, we haven't had we haven't had a chance to draft a quarterback this high in a long time. We haven't had a chance to get our hands on a franchise quarterback. We should go quarterback. And he was ultimately this, the deciding vote, and and the rest is history. So again, I think that that selection and, and the success that that happened taught them a lesson on how to rebuild. Because I'm not sure if they if they necessarily knew that the first time around after that first Super Bowl era of the 1970s. And fair enough. You know, the Steelers for 40 years, as we all know, they did nothing as if they, they as an organization. They, they didn't come close to winning any titles. They, they were just another team. <clears throat> Excuse me. As much as it might pay me to say and pain you to hear, the Steelers were basically the Browns of their day. They, they were just a, a sad sack franchise. And then, boom, starting in the late 60s, they had this they, they had a, a whirlwind of success. You know, Dan Rooney became the driving force of the organization. He hired Chuck Knoll as head coach. Knoll immediately drafted Mean Joe Green. And then over the next five years, he drafted and signed. We can't forget about Donnie Shaw now. He, he was an unre, undrafted free agent in 74 who the Steelers signed. He's now a Hall of Famer. So they they signed and or they drafted and signed nine future Hall of Famers. And of course, this bared the fruit of four Super Bowls by the late 70s. They were the marquee franchise of the NFL. They were the, the, the standard bearer of success. And then, boom, in 1980, it was all over. Everybody started getting old. People started to retire. How did they rebuild? What did they do? And maybe the initial thought was with the quarterback because they drafted Mark Malone in 1980. But was he the answer? Was he a franchise quarterback? Well, obviously not because by 1983, he he couldn't even beat out Longtime backup Cliff Stout in the first attempt in years to replace Terry Bradshaw, who was out that season or the beginning of that season with recovering from elbow surgery. He would only, as it turned out, he would only play one half of one game before retiring after the 83 season. But Malone couldn't even beat out Cliff Stout by his fourth year. So he obviously wasn't the answer. He did become the starter in the mid 80s. And, you know, he had he did okay. You know, he was probably better than people thought, but he certainly wasn't great. And he certainly had his bad moments too. So in the meantime, 
what did, what did they focus their draft on in, in the eighties and their first round picks? Well, four, four picks they used on defensive linemen, Keith Gary, 1981, Gabe Rivera, 1983, Daryl Sims, 1985, and Aaron Jones, 1988. 1982, they drafted Walter Abercrombie in the first round running back out of Baylor. He was obviously brought in to be the successor to the heir apparent to Franco Harris, who was the, he was in the twilight of his career at that time. He would have, he would go on to play another two or three years for them. And then that would be it. So there you go. That, uh, were they thinking quarterback or were they thinking something else? You know, that the old school thought in those days that a lot of coaches had a lot of general managers, a lot of scouts was, was that you win with defense and running the ball. Uh, Chuck Noll famously said uh, in 1983 during the draft when, when they were debating whether or not to take Dan Marino with the 27th pick, what did he say when he decided to take Rivera instead? We, we built this thing with defense the first time. We're going we're gonna to do that again. We're, we're going to build this thing a second time through defense. And, and, and that, was the, uh, that, was the, that was the mentality in those days. Running the football, defense. That's how you win. Uh, let, let's let's go through the rest of the, the first round picks of the 80s. 84, Louis Lips, receiver. Great pick. Can't argue with that. 86, they picked ninth. It was their highest selection in the first round since 1970 when they when they took Bradshaw number one overall. They picked John Reinstraw, a guard from Temple. He didn't really have much of a career. 87, Rod Woodson, cornerback. Can't argue with that one. In 89, the Steelers had two first round picks. And they were coming off a five and eleven season. Their their first, their own first round pick that they earned on merit was the seventh pick in the draft. That was their highest pick since Bradshaw, and they and they used it on <clears throat> excuse me a running back Tim Worley out of Georgia. And I'm not knocking the Steelers for that because that was a uh, he was believed to be a, a really good selection at the time. He was believed to be a, a possible franchise running back, the kind of guy you could build a team around. And uh, that, that they went and, and Bobby Brister, by that point, he was uh, he was considered the 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 heir apparent the, the, the starting quarterback. He, he started in 1988. He started the, the entire season, even though they were five and eleven. He was believed to be the future at quarterback. So it's hard to argue. But at the same time, coming off a five and eleven season, maybe you should be looking at the quarterback position as as a, a, a as one you want to upgrade. Uh, moving on to that second pick, which they got in the Mike Merriweather trade, 24th overall, they picked Tom Ricketts, offensive tackle from Pitt. So if you look at the Steelers after Malone, after they drafted Malone in, in the first round in 1980, here's how they, they used three picks to draft quarterbacks the rest of the decade. I mentioned Bobby Brister in 1986. He was a third round pick. Some guy named Rick Trucano. They picked him in the 11th round in 1981. And then, of course, the famous Scott Campbell. They picked him in the 7th round in 1984. He actually went on to start a few games for them in 1985. But he really had not, not much of a career. So basically, Noel spent the entire 1980s, I don't want to say neglecting the quarterback position, but certainly didn't. he wasn't making it a pri priority beyond uh, a, few, a few selections and no, no higher than the third round. In those last two drafts, he picked Eric Green, tight end in 1990, and then, of course, the famous Huey Richardson, the edge pass rusher, outside linebacker in 1991.
Those were his last two drafts. And then even Cower, his first few drafts. In 1992, he picked Leon Searcy, a tackle. 93, Deion Figures, cornerback. 94, uh, Charles Johnson, wide receiver. And in fairness to him, though, he did inherit Neil O'Donnell from Chuck Knoll, who drafted him in the third round in 1990. And we don't remember Neil O'Donnell very, very fondly, but he was not a bad quarterback. He was actually a pretty good quarterback in the early to mid nineties. And the Steelers made the playoffs every year under his, with him as a starter. So it, it was hard to argue with Neil O'Donnell, but was he a franchise guy? Obviously, if you remember Super Bowl 30, he didn't do so hot when, when everything was on the line. And if you remember the 94 AFC championship game against the chargers, there might have been one or two passes we wish he could have made to, to win that game. But in fairness to Cower, he did draft Cordell Stewart in the second round in 1995, and he was brought in to be the successor, the heir apparent to O'Donnell, who was not going to be around much longer. He was a free agent, and he was probably going to leave after 95, which he did. The Steelers didn't keep their free agents in those days. So uh stewart was brought in he was slashed in the beginning you know he was a receiver running back occasional quarterback but he was brought in with the belief that he would he would take the steelers starting job sooner rather than later uh o'donnell left after 95 he was immediately replaced by jim miller who the steelers picked in the sixth round in 94. he lasted all of a half of the first game of the 96 season before Cower benched him in favor of the veteran journeyman, Mike Tomczak, and you never heard of Jim Miller again. I think he's a radio personality now, but as far as his football career with the Steelers, that was pretty much it for him. So Tomczak, he, he went in and he was the, uh, he was a, a nice game manager in 96. He took the Steelers to the playoffs again. They won a game. So I could see Cower going with, with Tomczak. And then in 97, he went with, he, he Cordell finally won the starting uh, quarterback position and he did a good job 97 was a great year he was an exciting player he had a great year under Chan Gailey his offensive coordinator took him to the AFC championship game but then Gailey left after the season to be a to be the Cowboys head coach and that's nobody's fault I mean you can't deny a guy the, the opportunity to get to, to take a head coaching job and in 98 Gailey was replaced by Richard Sherman. That was a disaster. He lasted one season. 99, Kevin Gilbride was brought in. He lasted two seasons as a coordinator. By that time, Cordell's confidence was, was slashed, so to speak. He, he was benched by the, end, by the end of the 99 season. He was not only benched by Cower, but he was, he was prevented from, from going to the quarterback meetings he was basically a receiver by the end of the year he wasn't even a backup quarterback to Tom Zach. he was just a a receiver by that point he eventually got his job back in, in 2000 had another great year in 2001 under Mike Malarkey he was the his fourth offensive coordinator as a starter and but unfortunately by 2003 he was out of Pittsburgh in favor of Tommy Maddox who 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 took his job in 2002 and had a, a really great 2002 season but if you remember those times, even though there was a lot of uncertainty with, with uh, Cordell starting in 98, there's a lot of uh, turnover with uh, offensive coordinator. The Steelers really did not address the quarterback position that half a decade from 98 through 03. 
they they drafted. I think the the only guy they drafted in that entire time well, two guys. They drafted T. Martin fifth round in two thousand out of Tennessee, and they drafted uh, Brian St. Pierre in the fifth round in two thousand three. So, not much dedication given to the quarterback position through O three, and then finally two thousand four comes along. Ben gets drafted. Gets becomes a starter almost immediately, and the rest is history. And that takes me back to that 2004 draft. If you remember that draft, how, uh, the, the drama that was unfolding before it took place, Eli Manning, who was the consensus number one pick heading into that draft, made it quite well known, him and his father, Ar- Archie Manning, they made it well known that they had no interest in playing for the Chargers, who had the number one overall pick. So what wound up happening was Eli did get picked by the Chargers. Philip Rivers went fourth, and then, of course, Ben went, went 11th. The Chargers and the Giants made a trade. They swapped quarterbacks. And as you know, the, the Giants and the Steelers had great success. They won multiple championships. And the Chargers really did nothing with Rivers. They had some good teams, but they did nothing. So... In retrospect, I'm thinking Eli and his, and his dad, they they were onto something by not wanting to play with the Chargers. Because even though Philip Rivers, he passed for 59,000 yards in his career, great career, he's going to the Hall of Fame. And if you look at the, the stats of, of Ben, Eli, and, 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 and Rivers, they're all pretty much the same. But two of those guys are, are, are Super Bowl champions two times over each, and one only made it to a one championship game in his career with in with the Chargers. And uh, Rivers is the second Hall of Fame quarterback that the Chargers have had since the merger. Dan Fouts was the first. And if you if you remember Fouts' career, if you know anything about his career, he had he he was the quarterback of some of the greatest offenses ever, especially for that time. And yet they could never really get anywhere but I think they made one AFC championship game during Fouts' career and that was it. So uh, I think not only did the, the 04 draft teach the Steelers that, look, if we're going if we're, if we're to win championships, we need a quarterback. We need, we need to build with the quarterback first. Yeah, defense is important. Uh, running, the running game is important. Skill position players are important. But we need the quarterback above him. Uh, we, we really have to – we can't neglect that. If we're going to build an entire team, we can't just neglect the quarterback and, and hope – that we can get, we can, we can go all the way. It's not, it's not going to work. And I think they were always committed to winning, even, even though they struggled a bit in the early eighties, even though they, they neglected the quarterback position for two decades, really, they were committed to winning. They may be a little flawed in their thinking on what and how to build a team and, and, and how, what uh, to address first. But they were, again, uh, they had a, a, a winning tradition, and so did the Giants. And I think once they finally got their hands on a, on a franchise quarterback, they knew what to do with it. They, they knew how to succeed with it, whereas the Chargers didn't. And I'm obviously just guessing, but I think had Rivers wound up with the Giants or the Steelers, I think those two teams still would have had the same, maybe not exactly the same kind of success, but they still would have had championship success. You know, I don't want to paint all three of these guys with, with a broad brush to quote Mike Tomlin and and because uh, they all have distinct characteristics, 
distinct traits that make them special in their own right. And I'm not saying that Rivers would have would have came here and made the tackle in in that Colts divisional game, or or made that the exact same kind of throw to Santonio Holmes, or had that game winning drive at the end of Super Bowl 43. But I think they would have known what to do with a really good quarterback, even with Philip Rivers or Eli Eli Manning, whoever they would have wound up with in that draft, they would have still had championship success. And whoever went to the Chargers, whether it be Eli or Big Ben, they probably would have struggled to win. They would have had success. They would have had great stats. But I'm not so sure they would have actually won any championships because I don't think the Chargers have ever been fully committed to, to winning like the Steelers and, and, and the Giants have always been. So, you know, and, and I, I hate to disparage the, the quarterbacks that were that were here between the early 80s and the time Ben got here because, I mean, they had they had some good years. Again, Neil O'Donnell was probably better than people want to remember because of that last game that he played the Super Bowl. And Cordell had his moments, but he never got them over the hump. And Mike Tomczak was was pretty good. Even Bubby had his moments. I'll never forget 1989, that playoff run. Tommy Maddox had, had a, a nice little cup of coffee here. 2002, he, he had a really magical it ended in, in a nice little magical playoff run. So, I mean, they, they had some decent quarterbacks, but they were never franchise quarterbacks. And if you look at some of the, the, those nineties playoff matches, you know, you had O'Donnell trying to outgun Troy Aikman in the Super Bowl, a future hall of famer. You had, you had, uh, uh, Mike Tomczak even trying to, trying to, uh, outplay Drew Bledsoe in the playoffs the following year. And Brett Bledsoe is not a Hall of Famer, but he was one of the premier quarterbacks of his day. And then, of course, Slash trying to outgun John Elway in 97. So the Steelers, they had a lot of great, they fielded a lot of great teams in the 90s and the early 2000s. They had some of the best rosters in the NFL, but it seemed like more often than not, they were going to the playoffs uh, with the second best quarterback. And it, it more often than not, it, they would come up short until they got Ben. And then again, they had tremendous success. So um, if you look at, again, if you look at the, the I'm not trying to say that, that having a, a franchise quarterback guarantees success. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it's like what Terry Bradshaw said to Dwight White in practice back in the mid seventies before he became Terry Bradshaw, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He was still struggling to, to make it. Uh, I guess Dwight White hit him a little, hit him in practice for, I guess they were allowed to do that back then. And Bradshaw got mad and said, look, you might lose with me, but you'll never win without me. And I think that Bradshaw of all people summed up perfectly what it means to have a franchise quarterback and how important that is. I mean, the defense can get you here, the running game, everything will get you so far, it'll get you to a certain level. But unless you have that guy under center or in the shotgun, you're probably not going to have the success that you want. So again, I'm not saying the Steelers are automatically going to, going to, because they're the Steelers are going to go out and find themselves a franchise quarterback. But I do think once Ben does retire, they're going to make it a priority. They're going to go out and they're going to realize that, look, this is where we have to start. If we're going to be a championship team, we have to start at the quarterback position and maybe it's Mason Rudolph. A lot of people have their doubts, but if it isn't him, they're going to, they're going to go about trying to find somebody who could take his place. They're not just going to leave it to chance. They're not going to uh, 
draft a bunch of guys in the third, fourth, fifth round and, and hope, hope that they win the job. They're going to invest in the position in the first round because they went almost a quarter of a century without drafting a quarterback in the first round. And I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that when they finally did and they finally got the guy that they wanted, they were able to parlay that in, in the championship success. So those are my thoughts on life after Ben. And now I want to hear your thoughts. I want to uh, open things up to questions and comments and, and, uh, and see what you guys have to say. So give me your best shot. Let's see, let's see what you got. See if I can scroll through some of these. See if I can find an old question. Oh, new comment. Okay. Let's see. This is a comment from SDJ63. The Steelers are already scouting their next quarterback. Uh, maybe they are. Maybe they are. But I don't see them drafting a quarterback, again, as I've said many times, in the first round until Ben retires. I think as long as he's here and healthy and his old self, I think you have to try to do whatever you can to to build the team around him and keep that championship window open as long as possible. Here's one from that oh, wrong one. Sorry. Do we trade up next year? Sorry, bear with me. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning to be the producer. Anyway, do we trade up next year uh, to draft a, a quarterback? I, I don't think so. If Ben retires after this year and they and they feel that Mason Rudolph isn't, isn't the guy, then yeah, I, I could see them being aggressive next year and, and trying to find uh, Ben's heir apparent. But let's say the Steelers rebound this year and, and win a bunch of games, win the division, or make the playoffs anyway and have a nice long run. And Ben decides he wants to come back next year. And Ben, by the way, has a great year along with their success on the field, do you think they're going to be aggressive and, and try to bring in an heir apparent when they still might feel as if they're one or two players away from winning another championship? So I don't see them trading up. If Ben's still here next year, I don't see them them being aggressive and finding an heir apparent. Here's a, a super chat question from Vodka Drinker. I got this one right, thankfully, because it's a $6 donation. Thank you, Vodka Drinker. Well, it appears Green Bay hates Aaron Rodgers. If Ben can't go, I say make a move for Rodgers. It would fit cat-wise as well. Well, that kind of goes to my point about about where they're gonna where they're gonna put their priorities after Ben's gone. I said this a few weeks ago on on the uh, Monday Q and A show with Brian. Perhaps instead of drafting a a quarterback in the first round right after Ben retires, maybe they feel like they have a ready-made team. Like they already have a great defense. Maybe, you know, if they still have that great defense after Ben goes and they have a lot of, they have pretty much, they're missing nothing but the quarterback. Maybe they go the route of the, the Broncos in 2012 and Peyton Manning became available and they, and they, they sign a veteran quarterback to sort of keep that Super Bowl window open even after Ben is gone. And if that's Aaron Rodgers, if he still has it, if the, if the, uh, if the Packers decide to move on from him for whatever reason, maybe they're, they're in love with Jordan Love, no pun intended, then yeah, I could see them doing that because 
the Steelers have done many unsteel like things in the last few years. They trade up to get Devin Bush. They traded a first round pick to get Mika Fitzpatrick. They signed uh, Joe Hayden. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Joe Hayden a few years ago, right? The second he was released by the Browns, they signed him to a lucrative deal. These are things that they really didn't do in the past. So I could definitely see them being aggressive. Again, because I think the, the first Super Bowl era, when that was over in the 80s, they maybe didn't know what direction to go to win. I think they were more content back then with their starting over and, again, building with defense and running the ball and hoping the quarterback situation would take care of itself. Whereas now I think their philosophy has changed a little bit. At least I hope it has, or I'm confident that it has. And they will, they will, they will prioritize the quarterback first always. Not that you neglect the other positions. You need an entire team to win. I mean, I, I just mentioned Philip Rivers. He, he had a great career in, 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 with the Chargers, but they never really surrounded him with a, a great team, and, and, and they didn't have the success. I mean, I think you need the two of them. But again, if you don't have the quarterback, I think you could have everything else in place, and it, it's not going to get you over the, over the top. So that's what I'd say about that. Allie Howard says, don't replace an old quarterback with an old quarterback. Well, it all depends. I mean, I wouldn't replace Ben with Joe Flacco or, or somebody that's, that's on the downside or, you know, Andy Dalton or anybody that's kind of on the downside of their career. And, and, but if it's somebody that's just had to move on because his old team wasn't, was infatuated with a recent draft pick like Jordan Love, then then that's a different story it's, it's provided Aaron Rodgers still has enough in the tank. If he has enough in the tank to, to uh, play two or three years, then why not? I mean, all you're doing is replacing uh, Ben's salary with his salary. It's not like you're, you're, it, it's, it's going to be much different. You're just replacing one future Hall of Fame quarterback with another who might have a couple more years left to have elite play. I mean, Pete, Peyton Manning, played really well between 2012 and 2014 and 2015, he pretty much hit a wall and that was it. But he had, after he was waived by the Colts, he had three more great years. I mean, he, they set records in Denver uh, during that, I think the 2013 Super Bowl team that lost to the Seahawks, they set offensive records. So he still had enough. So I, I, I I'm not going to rule that out, but I mean, my, my uh, belief is they're, they're going to go the route of, of, Finding a first, uh, finding a guy in the first round. That's where they're going to concentrate their efforts, at least initially. So, ah, apparently, Big Bro Sco uh, said something uh, awesome. So that's thank you for your contribution. I didn't see what you said, but I'm, I'm sure as always, it was it was very insightful. Let's see. Uh, let's put one up by Darren Dalton. Should one of the Steelers' top focus be on finding a way to trade themselves up into the top five? for a top quarterback prospect in next year's draft. Well, I, I, I kind of addressed that already. It, it all depends. If, if Ben is kind of done after this year and they're not, they don't have any faith in, in uh, Mason, then yeah. But if they have a, if they have a, a great playoff run and they get close, but no cigar, or if they win the whole thing and Ben still wants to come back, then no, I think they're, they have to concentrate their efforts on, on, still trying to win as long as Ben is, is, is around. So let's see what else we have here. I'll take a few more. 
Let's see. Try to scroll back and see if I missed any. Let's see. Here's one from Ezra. Can you imagine Trevor or Fields throwing to Claypool and Juju? Whoa, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. But uh, obviously, in order to get those guys, it would probably uh, mean a very bad 2020 for the Steelers. So, you know, do you want to sacrifice a, 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 the last couple of years of Ben to, to get those guys? And, and, and no quarterback's a sure thing. I mean, Ryan Leaf is a perfect example of that. Uh, Jamarcus Russell. I mean, there are plenty of of studs that have come into the league that have done nothing. So uh, I think we have to remember that Ben still Ben's a proven commodity, and 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 I think we owe him the benefit benefit of the doubt as far as as uh, being able to to take them to some special places over the next couple of years while he's still here. So, oh. I think I'm going to wrap things up now. I, I, I thank you for the questions. I thank you for joining me for my second uh, edition of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I hope it was a good show. I hope you enjoyed uh, enjoyed the Steeler talk. And I will see you Monday with Brian Anthony Davis, Davis for another edition of Steelers Q&A. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me.